With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, now I'm ready when you are, sir. Lay it on me, man. What right does a man have to rule another? I think it is so bad, ladies and gentlemen, that if I invented a particular device, pretty soon I'd have to get a permit from the state to use my own product. You cannot get rid of tyranny by fighting tyrants. For a very good reason. Tyranny doesn't exist independently of something else, which is more important. There is a something else which has to be defined before you know what tyranny is. What's that? It's opposite. It's freedom. They are not independent of each other. These are not two different things which are at opposite ends of the pole. They are one thing of which the one is a negation of the other. They say, why don't you get into politics? I mean, why don't you try to run for office? Then you can create change. You don't create change when you're in office. They tell you what to do. This is how we create change, by getting this information out to the masses. We can do more in one year than someone can sitting in office for eight years. Together they can break us. We are strong. Divide us and the road leads to destruction. Don't you fall a prey to Babylon. They want to pull us all in different directions. So they take you from the root and teach you their own truth. Open up your mind. Please don't you be so blind. Nothing in for the fame. I mean it for the love. When it's all said and done, we're more than blood. And good evening, everyone, and welcome to We Are Not Cattle Radio. It has been way too long. I am your host, Jake Counts, coming to you live, literally and figuratively, from the host of The Walking Dead, uh, Sonoya, Georgia. And with us, as always, is the canary in the coal mine, Josh Wiley of statelesshomesteading.com. Say hi, Josh. I don't know if I like that nickname very much. It's How's too it bad. Going? You don't get to choose nicknames. And the reason I started calling Josh the canary, because it actually made total sense to me. I was sitting there one day and I said, you know... If anybody was ever going to get got, it would probably be Josh. So if Josh gets got, that's the canary in the coal mine. So so I gave him the nickname, the canary. It didn't even... I think I told you that, and then you went out and bought the uh, bought the moped, and... The yellow... Yeah, the yellow scooter. It's a scooter. Okay, well... Technically not a moped. Okay, well, semantics. Moped's like the bottom of the motorcycle rung. This does, it has at least 80, like 80 cc's, right? Or are you like, are you pushing like 50? It's a 72 cc, but it's a, it's, it's a, it's a two stroke. Oh, so, so it's a little it, bit better than like a kid's dirt bike. That's great. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, you can, it'll never be self-driving and it's easy enough to fix when uh, the lights go out. So, ah, well, there you go. There's that. Well, you're always planning ahead. Once again, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, Josh and I have had um, many conversations since our last podcast, but have never really gotten our schedules together. But now we're here, and um, we're going to be a little bit more frequent with these things as uh, Josh gets a little bit more settled in and as my career settles down. So we're going to be um, 
producing some more media content, and we've got some great things in store for you guys this evening. Now, one of the things that I wanted to talk about, Josh, I got, I, I, I got a, I got a media package for you, and. And I can sum up the election. I know we don't like to talk about it, even though our prediction is looking pretty damn good now. The things that we said back in October where we we decided that Trump was going to win the Republican nomination. And somehow this was my prediction. I think Josh agreed with me. Somehow do something quirky or zany or just drop out altogether and let Hillary Waltz into the White House. Or you could have the proverbial split which it's looking like that might happen, too, among the um, libertarians that somehow believe that Gary Johnson's a, uh, a, a good candidate at this point that would split off from the, from the Republican establishment, you know, giving, I can't vote for Trump, but I can't vote for Hillary, so I'll vote for Gary Johnson. And uh, don't worry, guys, it's all going to get stolen anyway. How could, you, how could you forget Jill Stein, Jake? Because uh, she's not on the ballot in all 50 states. <laughs> Other than other than that semantic, Very important. other than other than that little semantic deal, you know, whatever. She she has mainstream penetration, man. People remember her as a write-in. Oh, that's right, and they also remember her when she sat out and got locked out of the uh, debates. Oh, that's right. <laughs> hey, may, maybe they don't she will remember win. That. If if she's forced to run a write-in campaign, Jake, they'll actually have to like count the ballots. No, so, listen, they'll diebold. They'll diebold that stuff talking. some way, man. You know how that works. They'll diebold it. It'll be fine. They'll Premier scan them in. They'll solutions. scan them in. They'll have a scanning software that'll scan them in and count it. It'll oh be legit. At this point, I wouldn't even be surprised. It'll be legit too. I promise you. And the Clinton Foundation will get their own attorneys to um, to write the software for it. So it'll be fine. Oh geez. So so our basic thesis back in October, November of last year was that Donald Trump was essentially a Trojan horse for the for the Clinton cartel, correct? Uh I will give us both a coin for that one. Yep, that was the uh that was the ongoing thesis. Yeah, and, and don't get me wrong, I, I think that could still be in play. It really we'll have to see which which of these it is how it all pans out this November, who they've selected. Um but I don't know if we're going to get into this during the show, Jake, but Dan Hopsicker, uh, who's an excellent investigative journalist, has done a lot of interesting groundwork uh, on Trump's connections to the mob, Carl Icahn, and Adnan Khashoggi, uh, essentially in, impl- implicating him in, uh, in the drugs and arm-running trade. And uh, I don't know if, we again, we want to talk about that right now. Or you do? Okay, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Go ahead. That'll set up my uh, my media package that I have for you, which will actually yeah, well, roll into Alex Jones NLP, which is actually pretty funny. Well, we kind of talked about this on the phone uh, earlier this week, but everything started to kind of crystallize in my mind as I was watching the Republican National Convention circus play out. When you saw Peter Thiel as one of the headline, the keynote speakers of the final night, uh, as well as Newt Gingrich's uh, <laughs> unclear role in the Trump campaign. Uh, he's a- often asked about this. Newt Gingrich, of course, is a consummate insider and a Washington establishment figure, uh, attendee of Bohemian Grove, and member of all sorts of inside inside boys clubs. Um, 
But when he's asked about his official relationship with the Trump campaign, he always laughs and says that he's simply a friendly volunteer. Uh, so, of course, he seems to be gunning for some kind of uh, short list for a cabinet position or a position of prominence within that administration. But in that Thiel and Gingrich were both prominently featured in the coverage of the convention, and Gingrich continues to be. One wonders if Donald Trump is not the true transhuman president. And I would just simply substantiate that by saying we have this Make America Great Again mantra of bringing back manufacturing and jobs in ways that can't necessarily be done through traditional governance structures. It would have to be some sort of a public-private partnership of sorts. Um, and, the only, and the only way, Jake, you and I both know, the only way these jobs come back to America is with significant uh, increases in automation. Yeah. Also, um, just yeah, just make sure you stay near the mic. And you're going up oh, and down. Oh yeah, yeah, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. So, in these increases in automation, robotics among them, uh, if one looks back to, I believe it was 2004, when Newt Gingrich was the chair of the NBIC committee, <laughs> uh, and and uh, NBIC, what exactly is that acronym? It's Nano Biological uh, Informatic and cognitive functions, NBIC, and uh, in which Newt Gingrich uh, is, he wrote like 50 pages of this 300, 400 page document. It's on the White House's official website. I'll give it to you. You can throw it up in the show notes. Yep. But it's essentially all about how uh, America needs to maintain prominence to the year 2050. Uh, And Newt Gingrich in this document coins the term age of transitions which is now widely used in transhumanist uh, liturgy uh, to represent this time of you know, the increase of AI, robotics, pervasive wireless technologies, becoming one with the Internet, human immortality, all of this weird stuff. And then, of course, on the other side, we have uh, Peter Thiel, who is uh, an avowed transhumanist himself, uh, believes that he can cheat death, the co-founder of PayPal, which recently has been implicated by an HSBC whistleblower as one of the chief drug-running banks, uh, which brings us full circle back to the Carl Icahn, Adnan Khashoggi connections with Donald Trump's Florida real estate deals that, Donald, that Dan Hopsicker has written about, essentially uh, turning up, uh, you know, as so many of these cases do, Jake, fake Florida airlines uh, running kilos of cocaine. Uh, and this is the company that Donald Trump, and not just Donald Trump, but this new Republican Party that's kind of reinventing itself. This is the company it keeps. Um, so one wonders if Donald Trump, in a very real sense, is not a a post political president for a post political or post human era. Well done. Well done. And that's how we start the show, everybody. We don't wade into the political fervor. We dive right in, dive right past all the BS, and try to get down to the bottom of things. So, and we we hope you brought your scuba gear. Oh my gosh, yeah, I think we drowned about half the audience right there. But anyway, so it's really interesting that you brought that up. So we can go one of two directions with this, and I'm going to let you choose. It's kind of like the choose your own adventure books that we used to read when we were kids. So we can either go straight up transhumanism because I we didn't even talk before the show about what I had for clips. So. I, I can go straight up transhumanism if you want, or we can go into my uh, my media package and the breakdown of the Republican and the Democratic Party that can be synthesized in a couple of clips. What would you like? 
Well, given that the NBIC report is fresh in my mind after reading it as show prep, uh, I think I think we should go for the transhumanism. All right, it's about to be gangster mode, everybody. Um, when when can I install my consciousness to to the Microsoft server, Jake? To well, cloud? it's is not that coming soon. Or? It's not coming soon, but what is coming soon, Josh, is uh, the PBS NewsHour um, running native ads for microchip companies that you are going to swallow their computers and communicate with your smartphone. So put the finger up whenever you want to stop, and we can break it down. Here we go. And now for some news about digital medicine. What if you could swallow a computer the size of a poppy seed and it could report back exactly if and when you took a medicine while recording how your body responded to the drug? Oh, that sounds fantastic. I'd like three of them. Fresh Air's tech contributor, Alexis Madrigal, looks at a new technology that does just that, which has already made it past clinical trials. And I have one question for everybody listening at home, and you don't have to answer this. Please, somebody, for the love of God, tell me why everybody selling transhumanism has a um, has a effeminate lisp. It sounds crazy, but the tiny computers exist. It sounds dangerous, but they were approved by the FDA. And the company that makes them, Proteus, has tens of millions of dollars. Okay, we have to stop. Josh left. All right. So, Josh, would you care to enlighten everyone what the FDA's role is for the United States? And I will give you guys a hint. It is not to protect you. It's just to make sure that the poisons keep you just alive just long enough to be, uh, you know, a good worker and die just quick enough when you're done being a, a productive consumer. No. So, you know, th- th- I'd say that's the FDA's job. To regulate those aspects of what goes in your body. Yep, and but, if, you, if you guys have any qualms with what Josh said, just read about what the head of the FDA said back in the 1970s. He said that their job is to keep the pharmaceutical game running. They're not there to protect you. Go ahead. So I, I don't. I know hate to bring up. I hate to bring up. I hate to bring up facts and history and stuff. That gets kind of convoluted, I guess. Or you know the American Medical Association and how they kind of wormed their way into the FDA or. I don't know why these institutions were set up in the first place, but hey, whatever. You don't need to read books like Rockefeller Medicine Men, Jake, because they were published in the 20s and nothing interesting happened back then. Like, they didn't have smartphones, man. They didn't have Wikipedia. But sorry, to get back on topic, um, you you playing this clip uh, from Proteus Labs about the pill or whatever oh, um, it's going to we be. Are, we are uh, like 20 seconds into a five-minute clip. This is going to be great. So I, I have to say, I've heard, I heard about this uh, a couple of years ago Me now. Me too. Yep, they, they're re they're yeah, rebooting it, was, it. Yeah, it was in a it was in a Peace Revolution episode where I I first came across it. Uh, only this clip was from a panel, and the woman introducing these technologies was from Google X, which is Google's experimental labs uh, division. Right now, they are working on trying to float balloons up into the stratosphere to coat the planet with Wi-Fi. So that coming to uh, a, a globe near you here pretty soon. Oh, a stratosphere internet is near a you. human. Internet is a human right, man. Come on. Oh man! But uh, th- one of the their spin-off divisions is Proteus, and at this same d- demo, this woman was demonstrating uh, this pill that is presumably going to be discussed. They were billing it at the time as vitamin authentication, Jake. So it would um, power itself like a potato battery using the stomach acids in your body. At this point, the FDA had already approved it, and this is in 2014, I believe. And um, it could essentially give you a nutritional out 
look of a brief, you know, snippet of what you put in your stomach. So it was only sensitive enough to tell when you'd taken your vitamins. Oh, you're but at the same time, you're still in the punchline, man. All right, go ahead. Oh, I'm sorry, but at the same time, they they demonstrated um, uh, a tattoo that could also interface with this. Hold device. on, hold on. They've got something better than a tattoo now. Is, it, even... is this is this a part of this package? I'm just I want to get listen. Is people, it, is let people native... know where this was two years ago. Yeah, well, with the native ad, you're going to hear uh, another uh, endorsement. So here we go. And relationships okay. with some of the biggest drug companies in the world, including Novartis. David O'Reilly is the chief product officer at Proteus. He believes that someday soon, every single pill a doctor prescribes will come with an electronic component embedded right in it that tracks the pill's absorption in your body. Working together with a small, flexible patch you wear like a Band-Aid and a smartphone, Proteus wants to ring in a new era of what it calls digital medicine, in which your body's... A little plug for Band-Aid right there. Not a bandage, it's a Band-Aid. ...vital signs and the medications entering your bloodstream can be tracked by computers. Software will search your body's data for patterns in real time and report that information to your doctors. Let me step back for a minute to explain how it all works. The big challenges to making a computer you can ingest are size, safety, power, and communication. It must be tiny, as you're limited both by the... I like how security was not one of those ones that was a concern. ...size of the throat and the need to keep the amount of foreign material going into one's stomach to a minimum. The Proteus computer isn't much bigger than a grain of sand, and it attaches right to the pill. It also can't be made of anything weird or harmful. So Proteus's ingestible sensor is made only out of metals that people normally eat as part of their daily diets. Oh, sweet, like aluminum and barium. Oh, but, you know, there, there's no difference, Jake, between these uh, minerals naturally occurring in plants and being found in things like water supply in their, in their uh, organic form as a metal. You know, it's not like there's different compounds of these devices in nature and some are more absorbable by the human body. No. Right. No, come on, man. Listen. They, you gotta, they've you gotta... already got the all-seeing eye of the food pyramids, so. It's okay, man. It's okay. Let's, uh, let's hear how this is going to help us. We, uh, we got about halfway through it. We're, we're rolling. Copper, magnesium. Power is tricky, too. You can't swallow tiny batteries day after day. So the Proteus computer is powered by the same principle that makes a potato battery work, using the liquid in your stomach as the electrolyte that conducts electricity. And then there's communication. Sorry, wrong coin. That was the millennial coin for you. Most people might imagine that a sensor like this would have to use some kind of wireless radio technology, like Bluetooth for the body. But implanting a radio source in the body with an antenna large enough to transmit to something outside of it might prove a safety risk. So the Proteus system uses a type of technology called volume conduction. Essentially, the computer emits a series of tiny electric pulses, which a patch on the patient's skin picks up. Add it all up, and you have a system that can transmit information from inside the body. Almost like it's transhuman. Simultaneously, the patch measures your vital signs, heart rate, skin conductance, activity levels, almost as if you were an astronaut on a mission. Oh, that was a good one. Would you like that? Oh, yeah, because we're all just astronauts on Spaceship Earth, right, Jake? We're all in this together. You won. Correlate those two data streams, the one from the pill and the one from the patch, and you get a picture of your body responding to a pharmaceutical. 
an app on the patient's smartphone acts as the intelligence of the whole system, communicating locally with the patch and globally through the Internet to servers that help it process the information. Because uh, I heard a bunch of firewalls when they were talking about the communication, too. Right now, the ingestible sensor itself... What did you say? I just can't wait till some uh, enterprising uh, young hacker out there is, like, jolting people's stomachs with this <laughs> fucking thing. <laughs> Millennial coin. All right, for those of you that are new to the podcast, every time Josh swears, since he's a foul-mouthed millennial, he gets a millennial coin. So, moving on to the... Oh, by the way, Josh, this was on NPR. This is uh, So, this is your government propagandizing you straight up about some transhumanism. Simply uh, transmits I, the fact... Yeah? Go ahead. I was, I was just going to say I listen to this segment all the time, Jake. No, oh, it's, it's, uh, it's great. I cannot believe I found this. I'm like, God, this is a long article. I'm like, oh my gosh, they got an audio form. Fantastic. Sell me, sell me on being a transhuman. Fact that the pill They're was big ingested. on the transhuman. Along with information oh, yeah. about each pill, such as what the drug is, who prescribed it, and what pharmacy dispensed it. That's probably why when the FDA... Or you can have the thought police come and arrest you if you smoke marijuana in a state that it's not legal and they detect it in your body. Wow. Jake, you shouldn't... You shouldn't need marijuana because now you can just call up one of NPR's sponsors, which is a therapist app on your smartphone. I kid oh, you not. Oh, yes. This is what they've gotten to replace Lumosity since their brain training turned out to be a scam. A complete scam. All right, here we go. Prove this initial... Almost done. We're three quarters away done. Pill. The, the end is obviously the kicker. Commented that the benefits realized by the use of the device system are small. But the little computer could conceivably do a lot more, such as controlling the actual delivery of a drug. Or it could be that when many patients' data is stacked together, new and interesting patterns emerge. The most immediate application is to track patients with mental illnesses who can be prone to not taking their medications. Always. It's always mental illness and old people. And a team of psychiatrists at Zucker Hillside Hospital in Glen Oaks, New York, have already published work on using Proteus's system to confirm that schizophrenic and bipolar patients are taking their medications. What about old people? Of course, with all self-tracking comes privacy considerations. <laughs> Who gets? Oh, not concerns. Considerations. Beautiful. You caught it. Access to this data. Do patients' relatives? How about their insurers? The Proteus system will highlight the responsibility, or lack thereof, of patients themselves, too. Tech companies believe personalized data like this can make us healthier because software can spot patterns in our behavior that we might miss. So we're going to leave it up to the supercomputer to tell you what's good for you to ingest. Perhaps it could detect that if you don't take a particular medicine, you walk 2,000 less steps the next day. Or if you sleep less than six hours in a night, you eat 400 more calories than your daily average. The problem is in creating the data that the software can use to help you tune your behavior. Right now, people rely on their own calorie counting or on imprecise sleep and activity trackers. But smarter, smaller, more automatic sensors could open up our bodies to this kind of quantification. We may not be comfortable with the implications of this new technology, particularly in a world where our data is constantly bought and sold, not to mention monitored by governments. And our bodies may not end up being amenable to this kind of data-driven optimization. But Silicon Valley seems intent on trying, and what once seemed impossible may soon become routine. 
Alexis Madrigal is a visiting scholar at Berkeley Center for Science, Technology, Medicine, and Society, and a senior editor at The Atlantic, where he edits the tech section of their website. <laughs> the Atlantic. Hey, I got something for you, Josh. Full gear, full power, automatic, maximum, more of it, now! <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, dude, I thought you would love that clip. I'm sitting there listening to it as it's recording, just shaking my head, especially at the very end. Or the the consideration part is my favorite. There are privacy considerations. Consideration, yeah. So in the original clip where the Google lady was pushing this technology, Mm -hmm. she went a little bit further in calling the things that this chip could unlock uh, superpowers. Oh, Uh, yes, I'll be like an X-Men. yeah, so she, that's, I think that's the, actually the example that she cited was the X-Men. And she, I'm going to give myself a coin. That you, was, that this, <laughs> was that this sensor could unlock a car door. Fantastic. Oh, my gosh. Well, just, it, it's like, so, like, so painful. Like this is some, yeah, like this is some great uh, technological leap over the key fob. <laughs> but it's, uh, it, it. The frustrating thing, Jake, is, you know, as much as people talk about whether or not they'll leave the country if so-and-so gets elected, this is the kind of stuff that will ultimately be the barometer for when it's time to leave. Once your health care provider starts mandating that you take the Proteus pill so they can, uh, you know, incentivize your health for, the, for, their well-being, for your well-being and their bottom line, maybe then is the time that, you know, you need to head south of the border. But... In the meantime, I guess we'll stick it out here in this weird transhumanizing Pokemon Go VR society. But it's uh, it, it's it's very frustrating to know that you know there's a lot of people my age that are enamored by these technologies. Well, it's it's sexy, right? And it, like you said, it's it's without the context of history and without the context of understanding where the medical system came from. Why why um why homeopaths and and um allopaths don't get along while why the two different factions always fight with one another because one of them's based in you know forensic history of the human species where one was basically contrived to extort money from you and keep you sick and treat Self petroleum <laughs> yeah and oh yeah i forgot about that little yeah there you go and get one there yeah you get one for that so yeah. All right, now we're going to transition into one of two things. I have um, I have a great breakdown of Lee Camp of what happened with Bernie Sanders, or we can jump into the elections, which will include the Alex Jones NLP. So, which would you like to hear first? Well, I, I guess we'll we'll put off the Bernie stuff okay. until the end of the show. So, okay, great. So let, give me the RNC stuff. Well, this isn't RNC, but this is. Um, this is going to show you guys the two dialectics. So the first clip is a clip that I got um, off of No Agenda with uh, Bill Maher, where he had, um, what is his name, Carnell West? Is that his name? I can't remember. Well, yeah, Cornell West. Cornell West, yeah. So here is their, um, their banter back and forth, and I'm going to uh, ring the Mario coin when we hear uh, the magic key phrase, and then I will ring the Mario coin again when we hear uh, Alex Jones echo the exact same sentiment. So here we go. Hillary Clinton really, you think, has done nothing for poor and No, I didn't say nothing. 
I said, she has not done what people say know, in terms of her being this great champion for poor people. That's okay. a lie. But there's only, a lie. there's only two items on the menu. No, we got three. We got Jill Stein. Hold brother. up a sec. Or you got uh, Gary Johnson? We got four. We got four. We got, got Gary. The third one is... Okay. You, you got, got Gary two Johnson and a half. We only got two people who have any chance of becoming at president. At this moment, it looks that way, but it Bernie started with 3% way. too. Yeah, but it's, with Bernie it's August, too. So you we think Jill won. Stein is going to be president? Look me in the eye and tell me that. <laughs> we shall see. <laughs> but it's going to be tough. No. It's going to be tough. <laughs> but, me, but, but part of it is this, can, though, brother. you got to draw a line in the sand. When I, when I raise the question to you about David Duke and, 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 and Donald Trump, in your own mind, you had to law, draw a line in the sand. I draw a, a line in the it's sand. It's dumb analogy. It's not dumb at all. Because it, all that, that it, just shows under certain conditions, you wouldn't make a choice between two folks that let, you refuse let, to let me, let me, as long as we're doing analogy, <laughs> let yes, me yes. give you an analogy. Here, here we go. go. Here we go. You're a train station. Yes. Right here in L.A. You want to go to San Francisco. There's a wedding up there. You got to get there. There's one train that goes to San Francisco, but it's a little slower than the one you want. There's one other train leaving, but it's not going to San Francisco. It's going to hell. (laughs) So the analogy, Josh, is you got to vote for Hillary because she's not perfect but she'll get you a little bit closer to that destination that you so desperately want to arrive. Would you say that that's a fair assessment of that clip? Uh, yeah, and Bill Maher's delusional mind or whatever character it is he plays on that show, I, I guess. <laughs> okay, so now we have to... We're going to hear the other side, and this will start into the Alex Jones NLP, so I don't... I. I I, I guess I, uh, guess I gotta hit the music, man. All right, Alex Jones NLP Game Show with our contestant Josh Wiley. Thank you, Josh, for coming on board with us this evening. So, unfortunately, there's not going to be a lot for you to choose from because my clips are: Alex Jones sells out. We have to vote for Trump. We have to vote for Trump again, and we have to vote for Trump a third time. All in the same show, by the way. I believe those are all the same clips, so just play your favorite one. <laughs> all right. Alex Jones sells out, everyone. Who is putting in so much bad junk into my system to include bad, bad information? Okay, so here is the... I should have set this clip up a little bit better. So Alex Jones has a caller call in talking about his products. And his products are good. I'll give him that. Overpriced, but hey, I'll buy Brain Force if you put it at 40% off and actually bring it down to something reasonable that I can afford. Yeah, I'll buy your product because it actually is pretty good. And so the, the caller is talking about this product that he's actually tried with Alex and he's uh, giving him some good reviews. And then he tries to... Um, tries to get Alex on a different talk track than what Alex wants. So Josh, I guess this could be one of your um, one of your chances at a um, at an SDR. Where do you think that Alex Jones takes the conversation? What topic do you think that he would go to? If you're trying the caller is trying 
transition the call to, or that Alex is trying to defer? Alex tries to defer the, the talk track to something else. When the caller starts bringing up some interesting stuff, where do you think Alex Jones I, goes with I, it? I suppose I'd have to know where he where he went with the interesting stuff, or is it germane? It's pretty germane. To, to the, it's pretty germane to hmm. the to the argument. Hmm. Or I, I I can't I can't know unless I know where where the caller went with it. Unless of course right, I'll he's stop uh, you. one of the many frustrated people with the Trump coverage. Okay, so here we go. Bad reading, bad talk. Everything was so wrong. And so it, it wasn't that I was seeing it myself, but something was being introduced into my diet that was actually making me say, okay. Absolutely. It all works together. We're almost out of time, brother. We're taking calls here, and I, but I appreciate your testimony. Uh, what it comes down to is I'll be at a party with my kids, and I'll see the Doritos with MSG. I tell them don't eat it. They eat it, and then they act like demons. I mean, as long as they don't get aspartame or MSG or, or, or red dye number whatever, they're great kids. And, and th- this is all... Pharmacia. This is how the globalists control us. Uh, we got 30 seconds. How did it end, my friend? I love your testimony. We developed a technology in Chicago based upon holographic projectionism. It's a new technology. Uh, we'll All right. So where do you think Alex Jones is going to go with it? You got to get back on message. So where do you got to go? You got to dump the caller. Who are, what do you think the other callers want to talk about? Uh, brain force or Trump? <laughs> oh, man, you're half a, half an SDR. Okay. <laughs> send, me, send me some info. I appreciate your call. Uh, we got a lot of callers here. Corey wants to talk about Drudge Headline and Hillary and emails. Uh, we got Peter wants to talk about the election. Christian wants to talk about Trump. Russia hacked emails. Michael wants to talk about assassination of Trump. Uh, so we'll talk about all of that. And then we're going to be getting uh, on the line Joel Scout. The Trump News Network, everyone. Alex Jones. Okay, so and, you got, and you got Joel Skousen coming up next. Actually, Joel Skousen disagrees with Alex a couple of times, and it was fantastic. I probably should have clipped it. But congratulations, you um, you figured out where he wanted to go. All right, so we're gonna go. We're gonna do the. These are really quick uh, Trump clips, so we're just gonna blast through these. This is my little media package for everyone. This is how Alex Jones sells you guys out, people. Because I'm reading about record numbers now, saying they're gonna vote for Green Party or Libertarian because they don't want Trump or Hillary. You have to go for Trump. He bucked the whole system. They tried to steal the nomination. He fought for it. He wants to bring jobs back. The whole establishment's against him. If you're sick of the establishment, you must go for Donald Trump. All right. Here we go. I'm afraid for Donald Trump. And I hope that they don't try to take our savior from us. Well, I don't want to call him oh our savior. Oh, my God. Uh, and Donald Trump's got his own issues. But he's anti-globalist. He isn't out to get the country. He ha- he's been against NAFTA and GATT for 20-something years. All right, I have to start this over because this is what it's all about. This is the, uh, this is the, this is the, uh, the argument from the other side of the aisle. Bill Maher says, you know, this is the bus or the train that's got to get me there. Alex Jones says he's not my savior, but here's the reasons why we got to go. I mean, he's not perfect. He even says it himself, so here we go. Afraid for Donald Trump, and I hope that they don't try to take our savior from us. Well, I don't want to call him our savior, uh, and Donald Trump's got his own issues, but he's anti-globalist. He isn't out to get the country. He ha- he's been against NAFTA and GATT for 20-something years, and they're scared to death of him, and the whole power structure's against him because he does sing to his own sheet of music. And their entire world government program, the Washington Post, the Economist Magazine, the Financial Times of London, the People's Daily in China, they've all hit the alarm bells and said, world government's in trouble, we've got to get Hillary in. So shame on all the Bernie people and anybody else if you don't vote for Trump. He, it is a. 
Yep. So shame on shame on us. All right. Let's uh, let's finish it out. Obama. Because there's absolutely no Trump. way that nationalism can be folded in into a globalized power structure, Jake. No, because it's that never was... happened before in history. No, and it hadn't been folded into regional powers either. Unfit, woefully unprepared for presidency has to be a point where you say enough. They, see, they're getting ready to suspend the elections. They're getting ready to start race riots. They're getting because they know he's a patriot. They've gone into full panic mode because they got his phones tapped and they know he's a patriot and willing to lose his life. This is unprecedented to have hundreds of top Republicans who have always been rhino, neocon globalists come out from Brent Scrocoff right down to George Herbert Walker Bush saying he's unfit. They're going to vote for Hillary, who the Bushes vacation with, who sold us out to the communist Chinese. It was the Bushes that sold us out to begin with to the communist Chinese. We have what? foreign interests that have sold what? us out and are literally shutting off our power. <laughs> I knew you'd love what that is one. He saying? I knew you'd love that one. The bushes. So, oh my god. Mm. I mean, if there's, <laughs> like if there's, I suppose, I suppose you you could say that in in the sense that a ma one of the major deals between Rockefeller, Chase Manhattan, and Siddick that Henry Kissinger helped to broker, right, right, uh, in in the early '80s was under. Technically, the Bush regime, because if you think Ronald Reagan ran this country, uh, I'd like to know what sources you're using uh, for your establishment history. Uh, I there's there's debates we have there, but I mean, you think when you think of administrations that really ran that power, and that's the point is that it's not a single administration; that's a multinational block. The plan for you know the the bringing together of these two regions through conflict as well as cooperation was really drafted in the Rockefeller Special Studies Commission back in 1967, and Nelson Rockefeller was, was the guy who, uh, who put that together. Uh, Henry Kissinger, that was his first major, uh, major foreign policy assignment before he even wrote his treatise on, on small bunker buster nuclear weapons for Vietnam, which for some reason, I don't know why you need 400 page, a 400-page book to say you should build mini nukes, but that's what made him famous. And this is before he was made famous. And, and uh, that's what the, the Rand Corporation actually toyed with that notion for a while, too. Yeah, so whether or not these are actually his ideas is, uh, is another thing entirely. Mm -hmm. But, you know, it, it's because it, there's, there's so a lot of evidence to suggest that Kissinger and Associates is in large part where a lot of the, the cut for this drug money is run through, at least, is funneled through. Where it ends up after that, who knows? Yeah. But... Uh, you know, and then later on, you think of the Clinton administration, which helped to fill the, those ties that were solidified in the in the early '80s, where Citic, which is a Chinese, it's a it's essentially a venture capital firm funded by the Chinese uh, government, uh, run by uh, two of the eight immortals, Rung Yiren and Deng Xiaoping. These are essentially the founding fathers of communist China. Set set up this venture capital firm, and struck a deal with the Rockefellers to. Um, to export American technology to China to set up their manufacturing base. So a lot of those technology transfers actually occurred in the 90s under the Clinton administration during GATT and after TP, the, the Uruguay round, not TPP, excuse me, all these early trade deals. Um, so, so, I mean, it's Alex Jones has just gotten to the point where it, it's not even, it's not, you can't even make the, the argument that he's trying to educate people. It's just so much fact with fiction that people don't 
even understand anymore, Jake. I mean, five, seven years ago, you could hear Alex Jones talk about the notion that this is transnational. And now, simply because Donald Trump has adopted this belief that China is the enemy, I guess that's where we're going with it. Yeah, well, it's the lowest common denominator, right? It's either Russia or China. So, here we go. Well, if you're a Brzezinski, you hate Russia. But anyway. Plants. They shot off more than three of our power plants a week. China gets more than three a week. We are under economic warfare by globalists. We're going to get that video. We're going to play it. It's going up on Infowars.com right now. This is it. We finally got a candidate that's a patriot. We finally got somebody that beat the mainstream media, that beat the Republicans trying to suspend the election, trying to just uh, install Paul Ryan. And now they're in the news acting. I wouldn't know evidence of that, by the way. Like Trump's a coup. No evidence of no, anybody of tried to they're steal something from his him. Phones, they know he's a patriot. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah here we go. How about I'm you the have prom- on one of your super secret magical insiders and, and verify it for us, Alex? It's okay, man. Listen, just somebody told him. Little Birdie told him. Mary, nobody took anything from Bernie Sanders. And Bernie Sanders supporters are all over going, yeah, you did. Yeah, you did. See, Trump knows what he's doing. He'll get the Sanders people if they have any soul, any mind, any sense of not wanting to be robbed. So they don't have a soul they, if they don't vote for them. That's right. <laughs> wow, you got it. All right, so um, that's that's um, let's see. I think that's going to do it for the. Uh, I think that's going to do it for the Alex Jones NOP. I guess I'm just a soulless twat who doesn't believe in imperialism, Jake. Well, we do appreciate you playing along this this uh, this evening, Josh, with the Alex Jones NOP, and your parting gift will be one half of an SDR that brings Josh's total up to 1.5 SDRs. We hope that those of the silverback denominations and the basket of currency will be reaudited again in October. So hopefully, Josh, when they do the reweighting, you will actually be able to purchase some kind of good or some kind of uh, slave good from IKEA. Hopefully my soul back. Well, you're not a Bernie supporter, so can't have that. So anyway, that's um, that's it. So we've got I've got one clip left, and it's the Bernie Sanders explanation, and we can talk about this. And um, because I want to get this out, this was actually really well done by Lee Camp and. Lee Camp, uh, friend of the show, everyone, just so you're aware, you can go check out my interviews that I did with him on YouTube before he even had his own show on RT. Uh, he's a comedian, not to say that he was, um, I, I, I didn't find him humorous, but I found his political acumen uh, refreshing, and um, he was willing to have conversations with libertarians, even though he's uh, pretty he's pretty much on the, uh, whatever they call um, communism now, is it democratic socialism, is that what they're calling it now? Whatever, where you where you kind of oh. kind of get to vote to steal everybody's money. I can't remember what that's called. Yeah, I, I guess that's what they're calling it. Although you know, to be fair to the to the communists out there, I guess their political flavors are just as diverse as ours. So that's very true. You know, ho- hope hopefully there's just more of the Kropotkin variety where they can have their little com- commune experiments and leave everyone else the hell alone. I agree. You know, like you and I have said before, it would be it would be great if we could actually return to what the United States was going to be. You know, 50 separate little experiments, and if you like the way that one government worked in, in a state, then you could actually move there instead of having a giant authoritarian uh, federal government that tries to land grab and um, charge you for property that you already own called property tax or rent, whatever, whatever we're calling it now. Tax, rent, whatever. doesn't matter. 
So here is um, here is Lee Camp and uh, his sidekick, and I can't remember the guy's name, but um, they're breaking down what a sheepdog is and how it was used in this election, which is very similar to what um, the <laughs> very similar to what the Republicans tried to do in 2012 with Ron Paul when they started stealing everything from Ron Paul. And they tried to fold the the Ron Paul supporters into the um, the mainline uh, Republican, and um, we didn't we didn't bite. Josh, did we bite on that? I think we all just kind of stayed home and didn't vote because we knew it was all rigged. But I think people bit in the sense that he ran a campaign three times. Yeah, that's very you fair. Know? Yeah. So I mean, did people bite when you know Ron bowed out and ran? You know, missed the ring. Absolutely. Yeah. But at that time, you know, you'd been burned in '08. You'd been burned in 2012. I think there was just no impetus to, you know, go forward. And the the primary difference. Oh, hold on. We 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 lost your Skype right there, really quick. Hold on a second. The primary what now? Uh, I oh, just saying that the primary. The Ron Paul people knew how the caucusing system worked. Right. Unlike unlike the Bernie supporters. So, I mean, after 2012, it's just, why even try? <laughs> yeah, well, you know, it's a, it's a private party. They can, uh, they can do whatever they want, and, um, you know, they can have rules, but they don't necessarily have to follow them. Still private, people. So, sorry. They don't get, um, anyway, here we go. So here is the sheepdogging of the Democrats, but yet, you know, still can't have Trump. I say, um, uh, just like my hashtag says on uh, Xbox Live, hashtag vote for no one. I can't deny that, but I also can't deny that we all need to immediately and clearly understand that the Democratic Party is using Bernie Sanders as a sheepdog now, all right? Well, that, that sounds pretty cool. Sheepdogs are awesome, you know? <laughs> they're loyal, they're intelligent, they're good at organizing it's stuff. It's a political term, John. I know. Sheepdogging is a tactic the Democrats use to get progressives to still be excited about their shitty corporate party. <laughs> they run a super liberal campaign candidate in the primary who gains a massive following, but then ends up telling that following to support the establishment candidate who was more than likely to get the nomination all along. Yeah, well done. That's good. And, 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 they, and they can only get away with, the, with, the, with, the gar, with this garbage because the Republicans inevitably you know, run Frankenstein or Caligula or whatever, <laughs> which allows the Democratic Party to go lesser of two evils all the way to the White House. There we go. And there's the lesser of two evils mantra again. So that was our election coverage for the entire rest of the year. You will never <laughs> hear us say anything else unless one of these guys or gals, um, heaven forbid, um, has some kind of tragic incident, which I don't see that happening. Although Alex Jones will probably tell you tomorrow that they're gonna, the globalists are going to set off a nuke somewhere and declare martial law. That usually pops up about once every three months just to get everybody yeah. kind of stirred up. So, Josh, we got about 15 minutes. Um, what kind of solution segment do you want to do? I think we should do oh a... Oh, my goodness. I think we should do an education solution segment. So, what I would like to education do... Education solutions, okay. Okay, so what I would like to do is um, talk about my awakening for just one second and some um, some, some books that uh, or some some movies that change my perspective. So, I'll, I'll start and then you can finish and then we'll wrap. So, the... Um, 
the overarching theme that I came into understanding how the world worked and more importantly directed my attention to um, bigger and larger protocols was Zeitgeist, and that happened about 10 years ago. And for those of you listening to the show, you you know this for you probably heard me say this a bunch of times. But um, so I I watched Zeitgeist. I found out that money was not uh, created by our government, like I was told, um, and uh, all through high school and stuff. Or or I just didn't really pay attention, didn't really care. So I then became enamored with the fact that money was created out of nothing and that um, it was just numbers on a balance sheet. So I dug a little bit deeper, got enamored with um, little cartoons that I thought were interesting about the Fed, which turned out to be factually inaccurate uh, looking back at them. But it got me um, – sorry. It got me really um, – Got me really tuned into what um, what I should be caring about, which is um, how the world works. So through that, I started watching uh, a multitude of documentaries, getting my feet under me, and um, listening to um, listening to Alex Jones when Alex Jones was still decent, talking about globalism and uh, bringing up the Rockefellers. So I started reaching or researching some of those guys. Um, stumbled across a book called um, Superclass. That was a very fascinating book for me. One of the first books that I've ever really picked up that that wasn't you know having to do with golf or something like that. And then uh, migrated from that to a couple of other books that really resonated with me um, about uh, Indian culture, ancient uh, or uh, uh, Native American or whatever you want to call them, Native American culture and spirituality. Uh, shifting into tragedy and hope, which Josh uh, beat into my brain that I had to get a copy of. Finally did, and um, absolutely loved it. Uh, I, I'm reading through it a second time now because it's just a fascinating read, and it really does put all this stuff into perspective, the two-party system, uh, understanding how the control mechanisms work, and then um, once again, moving on from, from those types of topics, I started to develop my own sense of self, and so looking into spiritual books right now, I'm reading the Bible, listening to the Quran. And um, also reading some books about uh, success and what people believe success is and what um, and how you can be successful. And one of the things that I've learned over the past week was, um, and something that we all need to keep in perspective, is that uh, success is all driven by your internal struggle and what you believe is successful or what being successful is. Well, to me, being successful is having a healthy family, having a healthy um, relationship with um with my immediate family, with my kid, uh, with my friends, making time for them, uh, thinking about things positively and having positive impacts on people as I go around. And, and as the theme song says, you know, we're not in this for the money. Believe me, there's not a lot of money in podcasting, uh, if any. Uh, but we're in it for the love because we believe just, uh, just for the sheer fact that we came out of it, just because of my maturation, just because of Josh's maturation. If we can do it, anyone can do it. So the understanding that we have comes from reading, research, but m- more importantly, I believe uh, what I found to be the most important is uh, self-discovery and finding out what's important to you and what you believe success is. Um, Josh, I, I, I don't know what you would deem as success, but I'm going to believe it's somewhere along the lines of being self-sufficient, independent, and um, not being materialistically rich, but uh, rich in your health, your body, your mind, and your spirit. Yeah, just say it's meeting your personal miles, milestones, and those are mine. Right. You know, but I mean, a lot of people define success differently based on where their you know personal personal moral compass and their spiritual and psychological social upbringing guides them. So the you know 
the unfortunate thing is we have a lot of people in this world who determine success based on, you know, uh, faulty metrics like uh, a bank account statement or the square footage on the McMansion. So it's about once you realign those, you know, your life goals and your aspirations towards something that's more in line with morality and what I'd call source consciousness, then, yeah, you, 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 can, you can have a... Uh, you can be rewarded and find a fulfilling life despite not having the traditional metrics of success. But, you know, what you talked about there, Jake, along the lines of your personal awakening, uh, is kind of the trouble that I've run into in a large, to a large extent in that I've always been something of an autodidact or a self-learner. So most of the, you know, <laughs> important or interesting things that I've learned in my life from you know skills that I've used for monetary gain or things that I use for personal interests or both things where those kind of meet like the realm of deep politics where I kind of get paid to research this stuff every now and then helps pay the server bills at least um, <laughs> but uh, is sparking people to be interested in self-learning in the first place uh, I came along at a very interesting time in the development of technology in that I came of age with the internet I was born in early 1992 uh, so just as uh, just as internet was becoming a thing and the and the old uh, BBS boards bulletin boards were kind of becoming archaic technology, um, so I you know in 1995-96 my home got a dial-up connection and we had a Pentium one processor that just had you know we upgraded just from Windows 3.1 to 95 so we could get AOL right instant uh, messenger I, yay <laughs> I aim yeah. aim. <laughs> yeah, 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 well, it's a messenger. And then uh, later on, you know, uh, uh, we got a broadband line uh, around the time that I was in fifth or sixth grade. Hey, hold uh, on one second. Hold on time. one second. Can you can you kill your video? Your audio is getting choppy. There oh, we go. sure thing. There we go. So, you know, I, I got I got this, uh, this you know, uh, broadband line around uh, the time I was 11 or 12, which... Is the time that you're all you're you know puberty's just starting. You're kind of developing your own tastes and interests and those kind of things. So I use the internet very quickly um, to to teach myself how to do things that I was interested in, and that manifested originally in a passion for technology and video games, where I'd rip apart circuit boards and wire old uh, Nintendo consoles primarily into um, uh, sort of portable units. You'd wire LCD screens to them and and do all sorts of nifty things with the controls and. And uh, and you know lithium ion batteries, which were newfangled technology back then, right? <laughs> um, but so from a very early age, I'd realized one that the things I was learning in school, while I was interested in some of them, weren't necessarily going fast enough for my own personal desires. And uh, later on in life, as that it certainly wasn't lucrative <laughs> learning <laughs> what I'd learned in school. You know, I'd learned much more valuable skills on my own time, at least. For me personally, um, but that that had nothing to do with my questioning of the political establishment. Um, that that came later. Uh, I mean, and that like for everyone, it was a process. You know, in my younger days, I'd read Ayn Rand and was familiar with objectivism and libertarianism, though not necessarily in the crystallized way that I am today. I'm certainly not a big ob- objectivist these days. <laughs> but I think a lot of the philosophies in in those books are. The parts that are restatements of Aristotelian philosophy, I think, are really interesting, and mm-hmm. people should read it, you know, just because it's an important literary milestone, if anything. And it, 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 I just say that because most of the people I've 
encountered in life who hate Atlas Shrugged have never read Atlas Shrugged. So, <laughs> you know, it's like, oh, oh, it's like I have criticisms of it, but I can't talk to you about what they are if you gen- if you genuinely, if you've never read the book. Right. But, um, so the, the awakening aspect didn't come later until later. And a lot of that started honestly with, um, with the ingestion of cannabis for the first time. Mm-hmm. It was a huge lie that I was raised with. Um, and I thought it was wonderful. Uh, certainly opens your mind to a lot of new thinking. And at the time, I was in a, I was a member of a secret society, uh, which I don't know if we ever really talked about on this show. Nope. Um, but, well, if anyone wants to hear that conversation, you can uh, go to my website, stablesomesteading.com. You send me an email, and I'll give you the whole story. Um, Along but, with a donation would be preferable. <laughs> yeah, you can give me money if you want, but, you know, the, if you're interested, if you think I'm some, you know, Freemason shill, I'll, I'll I'll let you know that I'm not, but it was still an interesting experience. But anyway, so I, I was in this place at the t- same time that, that cannabis was becoming a part of my existence. Uh, and I, I was, I don't, honestly, I started to look up reasons why I shouldn't stay in school, honestly, and happened I lucked out. I came across the ultimate history lesson. Oh, that'll weekend do it. I dro- with, with John Taylor Gatto. Um, the, this was like the weekend it was published. So it only could have been fate, right? This video had less than 100 views at the time. Um, and Gatto's exposition uh, led me to so many other arenas, the Peace Revolution podcasts, all sorts of documentaries uh, that I'm sure most people know the names of. But it was really uh, Mike Rupert's Truth and Lies of 9-11 that did it for me, uh, which is still a fantastic presentation. It brought in the way that the drug trade interacts with uh, global terrorism, how that interacts with the stock market. Uh, It was an analysis of 9-11 that was so well-documented in forensic history that like something like uh, A Loose Change, which is, or even Architects and Engineers for 9-11 Truth, where it's about the physical event. Yeah. um, That, I, I was... Even after the, uh, seeing something as astounding as Building Seven, the, I still clung to to that to that old way of thinking until until I was given that comp- more of a. You were given the context. By- you were given the context of why it all happened. Exactly, and from from there, it's been a constant search for that context, Jake. You know, yeah. I read a lot of books. I listen to hours upon hours of old C-SPAN archived footage, old lectures, things that are lost to the annals of time. Um, and obviously, if someone ever wants a, a reading list from me or a listening list, I'd be happy to, to well, give them to them. Well, I think that them, I think that that would be a, a giant benefit. Um, and we can, you and I can work on that as a composite over the over the next couple of days. Um, I've already got a pretty decent list that I sent to one of my uh, a guy that I just met uh, uh, last week. Uh, we had a lot of um, a lot of interesting banter back and forth, you know, talking about the research that we've done, and just a very unassuming person, uh, old professional baseball player. But man, you cannot judge a book by its cover. I mean, he has done a lot of research, and we were we were pinging stuff off of each other, and it was fantastic. And and anybody that that has ever been in one of those types of engagements where you drop that lure and you find out if the person bites, and if they bite, you, you try to figure out how far they've gone into either researching the grand conspiracy or researching alternative um, alternative way uh, existence uh, theories like uh, flat Earth theory or um, hollow Earth theory, you know, those types of things. I- even though I don't subscribe to either of those theories, it's, it's fascinating to take a walk down that um, or to be open-minded and at least 
um, at least give it some, you know, hear them out for, for lack of a better term. So I didn't mean to interrupt, but I think we can put that together and we'll put it in the show notes on uh, We Are Not Cattle. And I'll make that the top link for um, for the week is uh, is to put that down there as, um, you know, reading and audio uh, and transcripts. Obviously, um, 9-11 synchronicity, the, um, I think it's episode, gosh, I think it's episode eight, the one about uh, the history of Christmas. That oh, yeah. that changed my life. Totally the changed gift of my life. Christ Mass. Yes. Presented by Santa Claus. Totally changed my perspective of Christianity. Well, once again, I'm reading the Bible, so I'm not throwing the baby out with the bathwater. But now I'm reading the Bible in a different <laughs> context. Once again, having the context of where all these um, ancient symbols come from and where all these ancient ceremonies come from really gives you a lot of context, and you can kind of move away the corporatism of of Christmas and and really look at. Uh, the actual teachings for what they are and understand the time period and all those types of things. So uh, continue, Josh. Didn't mean to interrupt you. Yeah, well, I, I don't mean to be come off on too dour a note, but it, it's almost as if we need to split this solution segment maybe into two. Sure. Um, because I, I can have a very uh, deep discussion with people. If people are already questioning these things, as most of our listeners are, mm-hmm. and they want to learn how to research for themselves. For yeah, example, that- I, just wrote, I, I just wrote an article on my website um, uh, about the what's going on in Turkey right now, yep. uh, especially that was in fantastic, Air Base. By the way, that was fantastic. I sent that to uh, Adam Curry and Dvorak at No Agenda. So, hopefully well, thank they'll you, take it, a peek uh, at it. Doctor jo- Doctor Joseph Farrell. Um, if anyone knows his work at GizaDeathStar dot com, he's he's more into black budget energy UFO type research. I didn't really know that he covered the deep political stuff on such a at least this part of deep politics in such a consummate level, um, or competent level. Excuse me. But he actually reblogged that article and uh, added some of his unique perspective to it. So I've I've gotten a lot of new traffic from that, which has been fantastic. Uh, so it's good to know that that article. I mean, it got passed around quite a bit. I'm pleased. Uh, but the, for example, that article is based on another original article that I'd written last November yep. about the buildup of the drug trade in West Africa. Mm-hmm. And this article is about putting those pieces together within again the context of history. Uh, and and how that this West African hub is now being used as opposed to Interlake Air Base in lo- to a large extent, and how production heroin production in southern Mexico, which traditionally hasn't been that's a that's a coca region, not heroin, right. has been built up as as this new kind of Helmud province of sorts um, to to replace that. But that research, for example, is all original. Right. I mean, I've I've built on other other people's research, you know, from various books and websites. Mm-hmm. Um, but th- that was assembled um, because I know how to research. Well, I think you know, we should do that for the next show. That'll so, be that'll be our segment. Absolutely. So if you, yeah, if people want to learn how to research, yeah, we'll do then that. Then I think both both of us can talk about that. But in terms of how to initiate the spark of auto of autodidacticness, mm-hmm. how to how to initiate someone who's not currently thinking to align their perspective to teaching themselves. I, I got that's that's difficult. I got a great so, idea. I got a great idea, and we'll we'll I'll finish up with it. So go ahead. Mm-hmm. Oh, I was just gonna say it brings me full circle to kind of my story of growing up with the internet. Quite literally, mm-hmm. is that my entire generation grew up with that internet. Mm-hmm. Yet while I was using it to teach myself how to hack apart electronics, and then later on, you know, teaching myself forensic history and comparative studies of religion and all these different things that I was interested in because I wanted to learn more. Right. My peers have essentially used that technology 
to um, to give themselves a frontal lobotomy. Yeah, to um, yeah, basically yeah, to check that, out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So while while I was on while I was a forum admin uh, and making good money on the side selling these portables and learning about circuit board design, most of the kids in my class were on AOL Instant Messenger, for example. Yep. Uh, you know, dicking around with uh, you know what Harry told Sally last week. Yep. And uh, as I got as I got older. Uh, and you know things like the iPhone and the, the the original iPhone and the iPod Touch came out. Uh, I, you know, became fascinated with uh, small handhelds and hacking those apart, and as well as software design. And again, most of the kids in, that I was growing up with were using these devices to uh, look at celebrity gossip or stream the Jersey Shore. Um, there you go. So. So I, I again we're we're at this nexus in history, Jake, where it's so easy to find this stuff. Yep. They're not even trying to hide it anymore. Every time I drive past Grayling now, Jake, I either see AC one thirty Hercules or Chinook <laughs> helicopters flying around. There ain't no fucking airbase around Frankenmuth. Uh we know what you're doing. You're not trying to hide it. Like you're just doing it because you know that I know and everyone knows that everyone knows and nobody cares. Yeah. That that's where we are now, Jake. Well, so, so how that, do you get that... people to care? Well, that that just summed up the election, right? Everyone knows that, you know, everybody and the media knows that Hillary cheated, but then they just go along with the narrative because they've got a they got a mission to run. And so they're running their mission. And and our job as free and independent thinkers is to think of ways to not be influenced by that and think of ways to counter it. Not uh, not physically resist it because that's kind of futile. You don't want to physically resist garbage because that means you actually have to intake the garbage. So you do the exact opposite. that's not to say if they force you to, if oh, yeah. you're forced into that position, you have to defend yourself. Yes. No, but we're, at the we're, same time, you, that's not where you want to guide things. Well, we're, we're true libertarians, or at least I'm a true libertarian in the, in the sense that I would take the non-aggression pact of, you know, I can't initiate force unless somebody initiates force on me. So there's no violence without, um, you know, violence being forced on me. So I, I, I would say that that's a, a pretty good synopsis of my political philosophy as well as my, as well as my life philosophy. But uh, anything else to add, Josh, before we wrap this up? But I think we should do a whole show, uh, maybe, or at least a whole um, half hour next time on on how to research and also giving people uh, some tools and maybe some excerpts from some of our favorite writings or favorite um, favorite um, uh, documentaries or stuff to give people, you know, that trigger, the jumping off point to at least start their research and start their um, self-development. What do you think? Absolutely. How to how to use these old resources like books, old lectures, um, how to file FOIA requests. If we want to go into that. Yeah, let's do that too. Um, I've had a number of different successes and failures from all sorts of government agencies at the local, state, and uh, federal level with yeah. FOIA. Yeah. So uh, that that's always fascinating. But you know, it does. It fundamentally comes down to that that one key factor is like how do you get people to care about these things? Well, and, we'll, we'll try to make it happen. You know, it's uh, we've. We've talked about it on a personal level before, Jake, but mm-hmm. the, those writings between Jefferson and Adams in their later years are so prescient but so depressing in the sense that they come to the conclusion saying, they're looking back at ancient Rome, saying how could all the Brutuses, Catos, and Ciceros have changed Rome? Uh, and they came to the conclusion that you needed Nero to burn it down because even if you tried to educate an entire generation about the ideals of liberty, uh, it would take 20 years Yep. And uh, that's really hard when the ruling establishment has such a propaganda machine uh, turning its gears against you. Yep. So in a, in a sense, Jake, the universe or God or 
source or whatever you call it personally has given us these tools of liberation at the same time that it's given us these tools of enslavement. That's right. And we are, we're more apt to discover and disseminate this information than any point in human history before. And the fact that the pamphleteers were more successful with ragtag printing presses back in the uh, late 18th century mm-hmm. than we are today with, with the Internet is disgusting and heartbreaking. Well, you but described it. You, you do? Well, you described it yourself. It can be used as a tool for enlightenment or a tool for enslavement. That's <laughs> basically what it is. So that's, um, that's it for the show, everyone. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for listening live if you are on the live stream. Um, if you're listening to this via Blog Talk Radio, uh, check us out on the live stream. Check my Twitter. We are not cattle, the number one. Um, don't go to my Facebook page. I never check it. Um, and check out the website, wearenotcattle.net. Josh's work can be found at statelesshomesteading.com, and I will uh, retweet any article that he puts out because they're very well written and um, very well sourced, and um, they're actually easy to read, and you uh, you have a good voice when you write, man. It's very good. It's very easy to read. So, well, Thank uh, you. It, t- it took a while to find it, just like it takes a while to find your podcasting voice. Yeah, man. I mean, I hey, look that. at how long I, I sat there and screamed at everybody like Alex Jones for three years, and now I've got a full soundboard, and I just try to make light of uh, a crazy situation that we're all in. So. That's it for the show. For myself, Jake Counts, here in Sonoya, Georgia, for the Canary in the Coal Mine, Josh Wiley. Peace, love, and liberty. It's been real, folks. Um, Once again, get a friend, get informed, and get involved, and rise above the rhetoric. That's all of our taglines. Take care, everyone. Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino-style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly plus free daily bonuses, so don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW report prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18+. Plus.